I understand that it's okay to, you know, let go of certain things because they do not make financial sense. You might be super passionate about doing things, but if they don't make financial sense, that's not business. Then that's a hobby. You may pursue it like a hobby, but that's not business for sure. Have you been looking for someone who could guide you through your entrepreneurial journey? Well, we are too, or at least we were. This is Karthike from Chandra Khatur, and I welcome you to the fourth episode of the Right Now podcast. In this edition, we have a conversation with someone who we look up to as a guru. After over 13 years of experience working with big corporates across the globe, Parish sir took the leap to finally follow his entrepreneurial dreams. It's been over nine years ever since, and today he's a renowned mentor, speaker, investor, advisor, and a startup enthusiast. I know what you're thinking. You too want to learn from him, right? So without further ado, let's head to the conversation along with our co-host, Abhmanyu Gupta. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here with us on the fourth episode of the Right Now podcast. And I know you've been getting this question a lot, but it is equally important for us to know as to how you and your loved ones are doing. I hope you're doing absolutely fine during these tough times. Oh yeah, thank you so much. And it's my pleasure. I love the work that you guys are doing and it's so amazing and brilliant that uh, I am honored, you know, frankly, anytime anybody would ask me for something like this, I feel honored. So everybody's safe and fine. Uh, I do have elderly parents, so I have to be a little cautious and that's the only thing. But otherwise, everybody's fine. So definitely no problems. We're keeping safe. So yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Great to hear, sir. So, sir, getting straight to it, uh, when we think of the entrepreneurial space, I think uh, we all agree that you have an extraordinary profile, uh, ranging from being a mentor, an advisor, an investor, an entrepreneur yourself, and the list goes on. But we think that it would be great that we hear it from you as to how would you define your contribution to the entrepreneurial ecosystem? Uh, you know, the word which comes to my mind is microscopic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think I am just too small a man in the whole world to really say contribution and such heavy words. I think I'm just doing my bit and that's that's the only thing and all of us are doing it. So so are you guys doing it. So, you know, it's easy to glorify when we make our profiles, we do definitely say all these heavy words. But heart of hearts, we are just, just one in the pool and... Uh, We just made some small things around starting with some failed startups. And this is what is my biggest contribution to start with some failed startups, to learn from those failures, you know, then mentoring a couple of hundreds, sharing those failures itself, frankly. So I would say, you know, I have been honest enough to tell people, oh, this is the reason why I failed. These are the things which I did wrong. Please start doing this better. Uh, investing in a couple of them. So yes, have invested in a few, mentored a couple of hundreds. I know, innumerous number of sessions and talks for sure. So so what I think is that, you know, what's important is that uh, we should share. And the startup community is the best community in terms of sharing knowledge, you know. So unlike other communities where people are not interested in sharing knowledge, information and stuff, startup community definitely comes together. Like, chalo, let's do an event. Let's do a seminar. Let's do this. Let's do that. And that is the wowest part of it. So I, I think that's what I have been doing. The rest, everybody knows. So, yeah. Those actually sounds like a very good introduction to the whole session. So switching gears, we see that before going all in the startups ecosystem, you have had a valuable experience working with multinational companies in different capacities. So if you could throw some light on how prior experience equipped you to tread this journey. 
I think this is a brilliant question. I think this is the first time I've been asked this question and I'm, I'm so glad that somebody has asked me this because, uh, you know, my mom used to tell me this as a child, okay, that she'd say, oh, you should just be a master of one, focus on one. And that's, that's the way we were told to do things. Top this, win this, be focused, remain focused, stuff like that. And I was the odd man out who would rather be jack of all trades. And uh, I would participate in multiple competitions, right? From singing, dancing, dramatics, painting, education, writing, reading. I know I've done all of these things. And within that also, again, a lot of variety. And in my job career also, I started with a strategy consulting in power sector, then to banking, payments and cash management, to an outsourcing firm, to high yield credit, to banking sector M&As, to regulatory, to education, to motivation, to helping the government and policy making. So, so this entire diversified portfolio is, I think, has been such an amazing part because I feel the more diversified you are, the more open you are to ideas, the more flexible you are. And I was reading this book called Fluid, which actually talks about most successful people on earth, but definitely good at one thing. But they were also good at some other things which nobody got to know, which, which don't get glorified for sure. And if you go to any of the toppers forum, if you go to Harvard's and Stanford, you will see that people do all sorts of things. So this is part one. So my thing is every entrepreneur needs to be a jack of all trades. He should have a variety of knowledge and that has really helped me. Today I can talk of blockchain to IoT to agriculture to probably uh, education sector to coding to robotics and and just works out. So I think this is part one of my learning in my journey. Number two learning, which I've had is numbers. Okay. So I think business is all about numbers and my qualification in finance has helped me a lot. So I think you always feel, oh, what has CA to do with, let's say a business or what is an MBA in finance to do with this? People are always misguided with this thought, you know, so this number knowledge has helped me to remain sustainable. I understand profit and loss for sure. I understand that it's okay to, you know, let go of certain things because they do not make financial sense. You might be super passionate about doing things, but if they don't make financial sense, that's not business. Then that's a hobby. You may pursue it like a hobby, but that's not business for sure. So that is part two, which I feel is, is a good learning. Number three is my failures. So my entire journey of failures is the best experience I can share. I can say, came from a very simple family background and I'll tell you the best failure is business keeps on going up and down. There are good things and bad times, you know, so, so sometimes you might get a lot of money. Sometimes the money will go down. And I have seen that in my life as well. I, I came from a very humble family background in a small town and we would live a very simple life. And from there to becoming uh, an investment banker, a consultant in London and Dubai and Bombay and all of these places, uh, the lifestyle changed. And then again, the entrepreneurial journey gives you these ups and downs. Some days are good and some days are bad. So, so there was a time when I was struggling to go for a holiday, uh, mm -hmm. even in India, when my friends were holidaying in Australia. Mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and then suddenly your business picks up and then you're again, okay to buy another car again or a holiday again. And you start going through these ups and downs. So my life has definitely helped me with this juggle. And these are the three biggest lessons. Okay, that sounds pretty exhaustive in terms of the experiences. And yeah, of course, having some prior experience in that domain knowledge adds, you know, direction to your ideas, be it finance, non-finance, right? So that was a good thought that way. So just to understand, so you leapfrog to enter the startup space in 2011 and it's been a little over nine years. So we were just curious to know what are some most interesting ideas you've been associated with? 
Okay, so I'll tell you when something new happens and when you when you get to know about them for the first time, it sounds very exciting. If I tell you about ideas in 2011, you will start laughing because they are now so commonplace, mm-hmm. right? And they they would sound so mundane to you. Uh, for example, the first time I heard about a health tracker in a necklace or a wristband, it was super exciting to me. You know, and and that time I was so excited. Wow, this is such a great tech. You know, uh, if you just put some something in your hand or a neck, uh-huh. and it traces your pulse, and wow. And now it's like every it's in everybody's hand. So so it may not sound exciting to you today, right? Uh, first time when I heard uh, somebody working with jail inmates and making those packets or food items and everything, it may sound exciting. Today everybody is doing it, and this has become such a common activity. After Sanju movie, everybody gets to know that was Sanjay was uh, making, you know, paper envelopes uh, in in the jail. So, so yes, this, the the times have been changing. I'll rather share a few areas which I think are exciting. Okay, and uh, I will probably tell you that for me, some of the most exciting things are online gaming, right? So there is a startup which I interacted with uh, called MPL and uh, Mobile Premier League and. then i got to know that asian games and olympics are thinking of e gaming as a part of these of these international gaming programs so imagine olympics and you would probably have an online gaming in olympics and that's planned asian games last time had six e games with consoles which were done and conducted across the world on an e platform wow that's such an amazing thing so so that's so exciting that you know this 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 world of technology where pubg has become such a great craze so programs like these are the future so i think this is one thing which excites me a lot uh, number two excitement which i always get is towards environmental product so i've seen people experimenting with let's say you know biodegradable plastic plastic bottles in their homes and i've seen people working on this so i had some two kids who were trying to work this out and then in 6 months time i i realized oh it's there it's there uh, online available uh, you'll be surprised but there was one of the sessions which i was taking and i was telling people that when we were kids we would not think of bottled water you would think bottled water is the most expensive item that you can ever think of mm-hmm. today it's a common place everybody buys it and in the class i mentioned the day is not far when we'll have air like this right. being sold in cans and trust me within 3 months somebody sent me a photograph of something on amazon and said see it is now being sold on amazon and air is now available and then you'll be surprised but during covid i purchased a cam <laughs> so 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 i have kept one oxygen cylinder in my house and say oh air i need fresh air if there is a problem i i need to have some oxygen small small oxygen cans in my house and that has again become very very important because the environment the lifestyle all of this has become very very critical and number 3 which excites me is iot and blockchain i think this is going to change the way we live primarily in basic products so let's say for example uh, i have been reading about world bee mission and world bee mission is talking about tagging every single bee that produces honey today and you'll be surprised but 50% of the food comes only through pollination and there has been a decline in bees population significantly in the last 5 years because of environment again so what they're doing is they're geotagging every single honey there are chips being placed on every single honey bee and honey bee boxes to identify where are they what are they doing and how much honey they are producing and then by getting inspired by this i have started a business which is actually trying to geotag honey and in fact the research says that 76% of the honey and honey products that you get in the grocery stores are either fake or modified and they are not pure mm-hmm. Uh, so we get bad quality fruits and vegetables which are grown in you know nalega pani and it's like really really bad food uh, 
So can we trace it? Can we track it? So we have started this geotagged honey where we have placed small geo RFID tags and IoT tags on the honeybee boxes. And then the honey, which is bottled, can actually tell you that where is that honeybee located right now. And you will know which honeybee has produced your honey and what is she doing or he doing there at the moment. So, and, and we're getting amazing response from people. People are like, wow, this is so exciting that I know where the honey is coming from. We are able to differentiate plant breeds of honeys. So we are looking at acacia honey and coriander honey and mustard honey and, and all of them look different. They all have a different color, different taste, different aroma, different fragrance. And this is going to happen in multiple products. So IoT and blockchain will happen. Blockchain will help you to maintain security and validity of data. IoT will help you to maintain that interaction between physical activities and technology. So I've seen IoT products as a water bottle to mangoes to apples. And, and I think to all processed items, this is going to happen. And that's the future of the world. So I think these are things which excite me right now. That's crazy. When you were talking about the honeybee story, um, I was reminded of what BMW did many years ago. What yes. they did was uh, while selling Mini Coopers, they said that you can now track as to how this Mini Cooper went through the entire factory, your particular Mini Cooper. Right. And I don't think that the back then people were wondering that they, they're going to be doing the same thing with honeybees <laughs> and the kind of importance it holds. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and all the food that comes to our house is dependent on honeybees. They are the only source of pollination in the world. You can't have pollination without them. So there is a, there's a Hollywood movie also about it uh, on honeybees. And, uh, and if, if honeybees vanish from this world, we will, we will die in two years. Right, right, right. There'll be no food for us at all. And that, that's so, so scary. That's absolutely true. Let's look at the impact of startups in the Indian agricultural space. We see that there are nearly 450 plus startups chasing 18% worth of Indian GDP. Yet we haven't seen very big names creating disruptive products, reshaping Indian agri space. Do you think we are far from acing it or are we working in the right direction? See, I would rather ask you a counter question. What comes to your mind when you think of a farmer in India? And you'll probably think of a dhoti clad guy with a turban and you'll say, this is the guy, he looks poor, he's probably in his 50s and some gray hair. And, and now, now think of a farmer in Australia uh -huh. and suddenly the whole image will change and you, you think of a cowboy and you think of this guy with, with a great hat and some good boots and he'll have a swanky vehicle and he'll have a truck and something like that. And that's the whole difference which will happen. So I think that is the biggest difference in terms of the perspective, the way we look at farmers here. It comprises of more than 50% of our population, but it contributes only 15% of the GDP, which means the money flow into the sector itself is too low, right? And that's not our core competence. So the so government might say and spend a lot of money, but it really doesn't translate. So, I mean, think of a scientist in agriculture. Do you know a scientist who are rich in agriculture? So I mean, so I don't know rich scientists in agriculture. No. Nobody's paying scientists here. Nobody's paying for innovations. Our coders are getting well paid. They are going to Silicon Valley and somebody from Silicon Valley is paying them and funding them. So it's a bigger problem of money flow in the private hands or in private capacities to individuals to bring about this innovation. That's a bigger problem for us that people are ready. People are capable of doing it. And trust me, I also do farming today. It's not that people are not there, but today, if I look at it, I would want somebody to really spend a lot more in agriculture research. I would want people to really look at this innovation. 
Now the trouble is that even if you come out with some innovative idea, the problem with India is that it remains in institutions. It remains in academic institutions, but it never reaches the public. And people have done amazing stuff. So I can tell you that Indian researchers and Indian research institutes have still come out with great ideas. They have still not seen the light of commercial days. So nobody's commercializing it. And that's the biggest gap at the moment, which I see in agriculture, that somebody has to pick up this innovation. And if you pick it up from there and bring it to reality, it's a great idea. I'll give you a simple example. Honey business is what we were talking about just now. If you get to know India has one of the highest you know, number of honeybees in the world. So I think we are somewhere in the top five in the world. And the return of honeybee farmers is one-tenth of that of the world, right? So, so ours is one-tenth return because we produce honey and all the other farmers don't produce honey. They worry about propolis, venom, royal jelly and honeycomb and others and wax and they make money out of that. Honey is a byproduct. Honey is not a product to be sold. So that's the big difference between the entire system. So people will have to take it. So I think, yes, there is a gap and 100% people are trying to do it. So now the good line of it, there is a problem, there is a gap, things have to happen. But I can tell you that it's not that we are too far behind. Lot of lot of good things are happening. I can tell you that Jane Irrigation has worked with USAID and they have developed water filtration process and technologies which are as per WHO standards and they got the first prize in doing that, right? They are operating in 30 locations in more than like 20, 30 countries in the world today. So it's not that, you know, we don't have companies which are not doing it. There are companies which are doing fairly good. From the startup angle, lot needs to be done. I think somebody will have to do it and people have to see that incentive. People will have to see the money. So if I were to ask you guys, would you want to do farming? Your first response is no, I don't know. I am not sure. I think there is no money. That's your first response to it. Correct. If I were to just give you the numbers and trust me, you guys are accountants. You guys are finance guys. Understand India has 100% tax holiday on agriculture. Hmm. Wow. We still don't do it. If we can find out agriculture produce, which we can export or we can get good value for, this is a fantastically profitable business. And a lot of people have become rich right in front of my eyes doing agriculture. So yes, there are a couple of names which are doing brilliant. And I do see a lot of hope uh, from all of them to come forward and do great stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And sir, if you look at it, I mean, uh, there are these companies which are doing a lot of good stuff in the agricultural sector and really making a difference that matters. And yet, on the other side, there are a lot of companies which attracts a lot of valuation these days, but they're not really making a difference that matters, that makes an impact, right? Take, for example, Oyo Rooms. I'm not saying that it's not making a difference. I'm just saying the valuation that Oyo Rooms as a hospitality startup attracts is way more than five-star hotel chains, which has had over 50 years of legacy. Right. And it is during these unprecedented times we see that Oyo Rooms is the one which has been laying off in large numbers, which in fact raises questions on its sustainability, which brings me to my question as to do you think that these overvaluation of startups is creating a bubble of sorts, which may burst sooner or later? So I think India is a classic example of herd mentality. We just know how to follow the herd. And we have seen this in COVID times very clearly that when we created a scare, everybody was sitting back home inside, washing hands every single time. And look at now, when, when we've just opened it up, everybody is going out and everybody's like, okay, it's okay, let's do it. Even when COVID is spreading very, very fast, we just follow the herd and say, oh, this guy is also not following the norm, let us also not follow the norms. 
and we are we are very classic in terms of following it so i'll give you very very simple example there was once a call received from one iitn and he was pitching his business idea to me and he said some x valuation for his business and it was fairly high valuation and i said what makes you value your business like this and he said my friend got the same valuation last month <laughs> <laughs> everybody from iit gets a similar valuation it was very very clear indication that you know we are definitely going wrong in terms of valuation and correction will happen i think investors have to become sober investors and it's it's a foolishness on the part of the investors to value or not to value it right so if they value it wrong they value it wrong it is their mistake and they will bear the losses from a startup angle they would always come and pitch you the highest money that they want they would want to seek as much as they can it's for the investors to really think through and the correction has started happening so if you look at last two years or three years most of the funding at that initial high valuation rounds have drained out it is only the top shot startups which are getting funding uh, so they are getting international funding because they established they worked for 8 10 years and they are now established as businesses but which is not the case with all the other smaller startups it's now become more and more difficult for the younger startups to just suddenly get high valuations people mm-hmm. have started becoming moderate about it mm-hmm. people have started giving sensible valuations if you go to any investor now nobody is going to just talk about oh give me the idea give me the business idea give me the innovation everybody is going to say give me sustainability give me returns i'm looking to understand sustainability around this and that's a great mindset change so valuation bubble i think lot of valuations have been corrected already and those which are not corrected are going down the drain we have seen so many stories look at snapdeal's valuation going down and housing.com going down and vivas going down and all of these big big names going down it's a very clear indication that it has busted so in the last two years i have seen most of the valuations and most of the investments happening sensibly because people are understanding the sensibility of it and covid will make the icing on the cake i think right. it will make things better 90% of the startups are facing problems 30% of them do not have even cash to perform the investors have backed out they have completely taken back the money and they saying we can't give you more cash it's a time for cash conservation so even the term sheets have been rolled back and and i've seen last 3 months i've seen enough term sheets being rolled back ironically the force majeure clause mm-hmm. is been the game changer <laughs> and i was talking to a lawyer firm yesterday which does only this you know so they do deals the legal part of things okay. for startup okay. they said that you know we have invoked force majeure so much for the first time in our life and a career <laughs> lives you know so far so we've never thought that this clause will help us so much and they invoked that clause so many times for so many startups and so many valuation deals and says so force majeure no more the deal we are taking back the money uh, no penalty clause liable so yes beat oyo rooms beat anybody you know all those who are overvalued will become rational they will actually become sensible and and people will grow to it so investors have to learn all of this and i think covid has become a good lesson for everyone so so now it is not easy anymore to get super and stupid valuations like we were getting in the past i think that the bunch of questions investors asked have changed towards resilience and sustainability given the huge inflection point we saw though we have a narrative of overvalued companies but the youth is still fascinated by the opportunities the ecosystem has in store for them so you being a youth ambassador of a state in india how do you think public policies and initiatives have enabled to foster the entrepreneurial drive in india okay so there are two sides to this coin there are some good things which have happened and there are some bad things which have happened the good things which have happened is because of government's involvement and the money flow you know there is a lot of noise around and which means that people are talking about it everybody now knows this word called startup 
when i landed in india in 2011 if i were to say startup people would want to struggle and understand what is this whole thing you know what are you trying to do here today even if you ask an uncle ji and you know and say what is a startup he'll say at least i know about this some startups word going on and uh-huh. there's some policy around it and something is happening there is an incubation center in almost every engineering college or a university there is definitely an e cell in every single college which kind of would do five competitions in a year on you know innovation and ideation and give away prizes which has actually made people to think and this has also brought about very important thing in our general life and mindset that people have started appreciating innovation people have started appreciating different things people are looking for and asking oh, what is different in you and people are okay to experiment even consumers are okay to support startups to buy their produce because they understand oh startups can bring about a change if if this was 10 years back people would not even think about using a startup product they would say no, no no i want a branded product only and i don't want to experiment with a new one so so this entire noise has made the customers aware it has helped people to start thinking about it the bad part which has happened is part one it has overdone okay and not everybody should do a startup guys i mean i mean let's let's understand that 90% startups fail so are we trying to drive people towards failure we have actually made it like a political campaign or an agenda to just say do a startup because and and people people do startup because they don't get a job anyway <laughs> you know so you know because it's become a fashion today it has just become a, a fad to do a startup try to put a ceo tag so i know enough college students who who just put a ceo tag they do a startup categorically telling me we are doing it for a profile we don't wish to do a startup at all uh, we want to do a job we will want we want to get into a good b school but we are doing this because it will reflect good in my cv so that entire part you are draining on the resources you are draining on the government's money which is such a wrong thing to happen that is part one of the story so i feel that this fad has to go we have to be more realistic people get so carried away by the startup story or oh, one guy got famous and flipkart made it happen and ola cabs is so great let me do something similar they are actually letting go of their sustainability they i know guys who are leaving their jobs burning their savings and then after 3 years they're coming and saying we have nothing left and we are back to square one and less than that and then that's a very sad and depressive story for so many people so so yes overdoing startups is a bad side and that's what is what we see you know it is it's a political agenda you know the other side the whole policy has blurred the idea behind startups and business mm-hmm. so the definition of startup is completely gone berserk you know if you look at startup quarters if you look at a silicon valley definition of a startup it talks about an experimental situation we are trying to be disruptive we are trying to look at higher growth 400% time growth trajectory lot of technology and and disruptions around the indian government definition just says any business less than 10 years of age and you know has a specific turnover and less than that turnover is a startup what's the difference between sme and a startup then everybody can be a startup so the whole definition the whole idea behind startup is changed now today i see a restaurant owner and he'll come and tell me oh i am a startup and i'm like when did you become a startup you're just a restaurant owner so uh-huh. so you did no disruption you just started a food joint right what is the disruption here how are you going to change the way people live uh, i have an e-commerce website where i sell jewelry online and people claim they are they are a startup so the whole idea of disruption is blurred out the differentiating factor between sme and startups is gone and that is the bad part of overdoing things so that's the bad part of the policy that we have created some misconceptions we have we have blurred certain lines and uh, i i do think that government should reconsider and making it more exclusive for the right set of people and money should flow to those right hands not to everybody that's absolutely true 
And I think this in itself drives home a very important message to a lot of young people out there who have to get it straight as to what is a startup and what is not and whether at all it is worth it to spend so much time and energy on. But at the same time, there are a lot of young and bright minds who have brilliant ideas and let's accept it that sooner or later they're going to take the plunge and follow their dreams. So what would be your best piece of advice to these enthusiasts? Okay, so I think it's a good thing. It is it is bringing about a lot of change. I'm so happy to see people who are trying to bring about a change. The startup ecosystem is good, trust me. It's a pretty nice ecosystem now. And, and people are there to help out. People are there to support. The money flow could never have been better. Yes, there are people who are trying to experiment. The whole acceptance to the idea is good, okay? The biggest problem with startups at the moment, the ones who follow their passion and say, oh, I just want to do this. I want them to remain grounded. I want them to understand the facts and numbers and startups have to read a lot. Okay. They have to understand the value of reading. They have to understand the value of knowledge, the right learning and skills. And they just jump onto the idea and say, Oh, I have an idea. Let me start doing it without getting the right skills. Then they kind of fail and then they kind of blame it on, you know, this did not happen. This did not happen, but you have to keep reading. You have to enhance your knowledge. So knowledge is the biggest gap that I see around. So people are misguided to the extent they think Bill Gates and Steve Jobs left their college. So they became great entrepreneurs. I should do the same thing. And my answer to them is please go to Stanford and Harvard once reach the get admission and then leave your college. I'll be fine with you. <laughs> right? Prove your competence first. You know, don't just say, Oh, I, I, I want to drop out of my college. So please read, have sensible learnings, prove yourself. And if you can't even prove yourself in academics, how will you prove yourself in business? Gone are those days of Lalaji business where people would do business because they didn't do anything else. So that would not work, you know, and you have to have skills. It may not be academic skills alone. It's not necessarily that you need to be a topper. In fact, toppers do don't do as great in business as such, but you should definitely have good learnings, good skills, try to work on those skills. And that, that's a very important aspect of business. Number two is please think about sustainability and numbers. Most important, most startups get into this passion mode and this whole story on, I think on online media, follow your passion, follow your heart, you know, we forget our sensibility. That's not okay. We should start looking at things from a realistic angle. If, if your startup doesn't work, where will you get your bread and butter? You have to plan your bread and butter. You have to have, you know, a backup plan. So that's why probably sometimes degrees are important, which gives you bread and butter, even if they're boring to do. You don't do everything just out of fun. You know, do you have enough money in this country? We are a poor nation. We don't have a social security in this country. We don't have enough money where the government will take care of your medical expenses. Today, try having COVID, then you'll understand how much expensive it is to go to a private hospital. You know, I would rather dread not to, not to fall ill because I can't afford the medical services in a private hospital and government hospitals are in bad shape. So we have to think about our sustainability. We have to think about money at the back. Uh, you know, and we have to have a backup plan. So these are two very important things, which are against the passion story, but they have to do it. You know, so this is, this is most important. Life is not about just following your passion and following your heart. It's also about sustaining. If, if you only, if you live that you will do all those things, you know, and, and just worry about those things. And I think that will be the most important lesson from my side. Absolutely. Great, sir. And I think given that what you said just now, we would sort of tweak what we say that the right time to start is right now. And then give a small disclaimer at the end is that don't forget <laughs> about sustainability. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
I think, sir, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure having you with us here. And like I said, this is the first time we've had a mentor with us. And um, I think whatever you've said, whatever whatever lessons we've learned so far will ring in the ears of youngsters and enthusiasts, and they will certainly have a lot of things to take away from them. Wow, I mean, I am impressed. I enjoyed this whole conversation. I had fun. You guys have such uh, smiles on your faces all the time, <laughs> and you are like so cheerful. It's a good conversation uh, with all of you guys. You know, even backstage, it was fun.